Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27, in part 2 of a sermon series called Together, with this message from January 19th titled, Why the Body of Christ Matters. Members of the 3rd United States Infantry Regiment of the United States Army guard the tomb of the Annoans at Arlington National Cemetery. The cemetery is located in Arlington County, Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C. It is guarded 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year, regardless of weather, terrorist attacks, or any other such circumstances. When a guard is not on duty, they are living in quarters beneath it and are preparing their uniform and completing training. When a sentinel comes on duty, they walk exactly 21 steps across a tomb, representing the 21 gun salute, the highest honor given to any military or foreign dignitary. When they turn, they face a tomb and remain in that position for 21 seconds. They turn again and walk 21 steps across the tomb. When they complete that short journey, they stop, turn toward the tomb and pause for 21 seconds. Over and over, the sentinel repeats that process until their shift is completed. When the job is done well, it is nearly impossible to discern any movement of the sentinel's head or their weapon. With an average age of only 22, These young enlisted men and women with ranks ranging only from private first class to specialist prepare for weeks to take a turn at the tomb. They will be assigned to groups by their height. No more than two inches will separate those who take responsibility for duty shifts. These soldiers also wear military issue boots. However, the heels and soles are built up a bit, not for protection from the weather, but to aid in the walking, the turning, and the distinctive clicking of the heels. Strict training ensures that the guard will be unflinching and unwavering in duty, no matter the heat of summer, no matter the driving rain of December, or the frozen snow of February. And most importantly of all, the guard will remain posted, and the steps will remain perfect even when there is not another soul in sight when no one else is watching to see if the guard remains diligent, even at midnight. If an individual wants to join this group, they will have to learn a new way to walk. And the motivation to learn a new way to walk comes from those buried in that cemetery, individuals who gave their lives in the name of freedom. Those graves are reminders that freedom isn't free at all. Instead, it came with a costly price tag, and therefore such sacrifice is worth a 24-hour guard, 365 days of the year. You just don't walk the same when it's your turn to guard the tomb. The Apostle Paul would tell us that those who have experienced deliverance and freedom from sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ don't walk the same either. Rather than walking in Darkness and the futility of their minds as unwise people, they walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have been called. 
In other words, the spiritual walk of a Christ follower corresponds to their new position in Christ. Throughout his writings, Paul reminds us, believers in Christ, of our spiritual position. He says that we are in Christ. Regarding what it means to be in Christ, John Piper wrote, when you and I trust Christ as our savior and Lord and treasure, a union is established between Christ and us in such a way that everything in Christ that can be shared will be shared with us. Everything that he is and everything that he has that can be shared will be shared with us. And there is only one thing that can't be shared his deity and its unique God defining attributes like omnipotent. Uh, presence, omnipotence, omniscience, and eterna- eternality. But everything else that Christ is and has is ours in him. He then goes on to share these examples of what it means to be in Christ. He says, we receive grace in Christ. Our redemption is in Christ. We are justified in Christ. We have forgiveness of sins in Christ. There is no condemnation in Christ. We are a new creation in Christ. We have eternal life in Christ. God supplies all of our needs in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing of heaven in Christ. We will be presented to God perfect in Christ. And we cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ. Paul's aim in talking this way is that we stand in awe of Christ, that we love Christ, that we admire Christ, that we follow Christ, and that we walk differently because of Christ. In Ephesians 4, 3, Paul shares one way in which our walk will be different. He says that we will be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That word eager means to make haste and gives the idea of zealous effort and diligence. And the word maintain means to guard. In other words, Paul is saying, do your utmost to keep and to guard the unity of the spirit. This is so very, very urgent. And it's so very, very important. Last Sunday began a preaching series on this matter of unity from Ephesians chapter four, verses one to six. And I've entitled the series together. Last Sunday, we set the foundation for the series by considering the importance of unity and the character required to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Beginning today, I would have us consider the sevenfold truths that Paul lays out, which knit our lives together. In each subsequent Sunday, we will examine one of these sevenfold truths. Paul mentions these in verses four to six. After exhorting us to live a life marked by unity, he writes, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all in all and living through all. The first foundational truth, which knits our hearts together in unity is a reality that there is one body. Our Western culture is fixated with the physical body. Surf through your TV channels at almost any time of day, and you will be bombarded with infomercials that promise a smaller waistline, stronger abs, whiter teeth, fewer wrinkles, shinier hair, and softer skin. However, there is a body that is more important, the most important body, which calls for greater and our utmost attention. It is the body of Christ. 
This is what Paul has in mind when he says there is one body. It's a common yet complex term he uses to refer to members of Christ's church throughout history. The body of Christ, the church, is comprised of all who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. And in so doing, each believer becomes part of the body of Christ. And to emphasize how this reality knits our hearts together in unity, Paul says that we are one body. Not that we potentially can be one body or that we ought to be one body or that we ought to strive to be one body, but that we are one body. Not something that we will one day be or something that we have potential to be. It is something that we already are. We are a body. When you stand in front of a mirror and look at your body, you'll notice that it's divided into two major sections, the head and the torso. The head is control center of the body. The torso is both the largest part and the part to which the members, the arms, the legs and hands are attached. The human body examined in this way will help us to understand how the church is to function. As we explore this reality, I want to first of all emphasize that there is one body with one head, that being Jesus Christ. And as a result, we have a living union with Christ, the head of the body, the head of the church. The New Testament abounds with images that illuminate the relationship of Jesus and his people. For example, he is a chief cornerstone and we are living stones being built on this foundation as a spiritual house. He is a great shepherd and we are the sheep. He is a vine and we are the branches. Each image focuses our attention on a particular aspect of our relationship with Christ and with one another. Paul tells us, for example, that Jesus is our older brother, the firstborn among many brothers, and we are members of God's household. The picture suggests a closeness through kinship and proximity. We live together in the same home, so to speak, with the Lord, and we are his family. In other places, scriptural imagery points toward deeper intimacy. Christ, Paul says, is married to the, his church by God's design Husband and wife draw utterly close, uniting themselves in one flesh. And Paul insists in Ephesians 5 that such profound union provides a picture of how Christ loves the church and gives himself for her. This imagery paints a picture of intimacy. However, one relationship is indeed closer and even more intimate. It is this imagery of the head and the body. In Paul's teaching about Christ to the head and the church as his body, he presses us to recognize an intimacy with Jesus that even exceeds the union of marriage. The hearts of a husband and wife may beat as one, but a head and heart within the same body are one. They share the same life, the same breath, the same blood. Paul repeatedly returned to this theme in this image in his various letters, insisting that this reality could transform their lives. There are several implications regarding this union we have with Jesus, the head of the body, the head of his church. And the first implication I want to share is this. If the head and body are truly one, then we must never forget that. However, we treat the church, we treat Christ himself. Let me illustrate this truth in this way. After a long day of yard work, your body aches. 
You fill a bathtub with hot water and settle in for a long soak. And in so doing, your aching body finds relief. Now your head doesn't look down and observe my body is experiencing pleasure. Rather, your head smiles and thinks, ah, this feels so good. In other words, what ministers to the body ministers to the head. And by the same token, if a mosquito bites your hand, he may think that he is only sucking blood from one limb. In truth, however, he's lunching on you. As soon as a sensation registers in your hand, your head reacts, doesn't it? Moving the other hand to swat the mosquito. In other words, if you bite the body, you bite the head. The apostle Paul discovered this reality the hard way. He was a sworn enemy of the faith who had ravaged the church. When the Lord appeared to him in a blinding light on the road to Damascus, Jesus didn't ask him, why do you persecute my disciples? Instead, he asked, why do you persecute me? And when Paul asked who he was, Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's no wonder Paul later told the Corinthians, when you sin against your brothers, you sin against Christ. If you attack the body, you attack the head. On the other hand, whatever we do to strengthen and care for the church, we do for Christ himself. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. If you and I truly desire to discern how we are treating Jesus, we must ask how we typically treat his body. Do I nourish and care for the church or do I neglect it? Do I respect the church despite all of its wounds and scars or do I chronically complain about it? Am I loyal to it or do I desert it as soon as the going gets rough and tough? Paul would tell us that the, if the head and body are truly one, then we must never forget. However, we treat the church. We treat Christ himself. A second implication regarding Christ's headship is that we must always recognize Christ's preeminence. Paul put it this way. And he is before all things and in him, all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. In the life of the church, Jesus must come first before anyone or anything else. Neither programs nor personalities nor petty politics can be allowed to take precedence over him. When we get that priority straight, the rest falls into place. When we don't, it results in chaos. When Christ is given preeminence, he is exalted. And as a result, our worship will be Christ centered and not entertainment oriented. We won't render service begrudgingly, but joyfully out of sacrificial love for Christ. Relationships between members of the body will be healthy because they hold together in him. With Christ properly exalted, the world encounters the beauty of his face and the love that radiates from him 
and transformation takes place. On the other hand, when the body fails to lift up the head above all else, confusion and chaos and conflict arise and the world receives a distorted image of the person of Jesus. We also need to understand that Christ as head of the church is in charge because of Christ's preeminence. We must always acknowledge that he is in charge and in control of all things. The will of the head is supreme. He commands and we, the members of his body obey our failure to carry out his will, or even our slowness of procrastination in doing so leads to serious trouble. When some members of the body choose disobedience, the consequences are devastating. Internal strife, confusion, a dulling of spiritual senses. Obedience, on the other hand, brings life and freedom, joy and satisfaction. And one other implication that I want to share, because Christ is ahead of the body, the body is utterly dependent on him. A broken leg will slow me down. An upset stomach will distract me. An abscess tooth will be uncomfortable, but anything that comes between the brain and the rest of the body, anything that hinders a flow of life between the two can paralyze the whole organism. And so it is then with the body of Christ, whatever comes between Christ and his members will debilitate and eventually incapacitate them because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. What kind of spiritual viruses can do such damage to the Lord's body? Well, they include things like pride and envy, jealousy, greed, bitterness, apathy, and a lust for power, wealth, and pleasure. These sever our connections to Christ because we turn away from him to pursue our selfish ends. These spread through the body resulting in crippling pain and the inability to do the work that we have been called to do. It's for this reason, Paul urged us to clothe ourselves with humility as we studied last Sunday with gentleness and with patience and to bear one another with love. And so doing the body remains healthy and wholesome, fruitful and productive. And so the body of Christ is one head and that is Jesus Christ himself. However, the body also has many parts. And although it has many parts, it is only one body. It's not many bodies and many denominations. They're all connected by sharing the same life and they're connected to the head. So they function as his means of expressing life to this world and in this world. And God's church is not a homogenized group of spiritual clones. Christians come from all backgrounds, cultures, races, and social classes and, and nationalities. There's a beautiful diversity within the body of Christ. Writing about the diversity in the church, Paul in first Corinthians chapter 12 said this. He said their human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews. Some are Gentiles. Some are slaves and some are free but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. Yes. The body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand that does not make it any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body. And each one of you is part of it. By using this illustration of the human body, Paul develops this idea of unity and diversity within the body of Christ that can and must coexist. There are many applications we can draw from this passage, but permit me to share two with you this morning. The first is that no individual Christian can function effectively by himself or herself. In other words, there is no place for independence in the body of Christ. What happens when you get a speck of dust in your eye, your back develops an itch or you cut your finger is not another part of your body set in motion to compensate and assist that part of the body, which is in need. This illustrates how God's family ought to function. When one is weak, injured, discouraged, or in need, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are to come alongside them. They come alongside not to judge and condemn or criticize, but rather to help in whatever manner possible. After 9-11, when terrorists flew planes into the Twin Towers, a new phenomenon developed. People began cocooning. They were withdrawing from societal life. Purchases of things like large screen TVs increased, indicating that people were content to be alone in front of their television set. Even us as Christians are in danger of developing a fortress mentality. Some individuals, figuratively speaking, build their fortress, their place of safety and security. And then they dig a trench around their fortress, fill it with water, pull up the drawbridge and refuse entry to anyone who might want to or try to enter. And the reason often is that they think they can function effectively by themselves. And it may even appear that they can function effectively by themselves but a time will come when they will need help and assistance from others. There will come a time when they are helpless, weak and are in need. And if they haven't taken the time to develop strong and healthy relationships, they'd find themselves all alone in those situations. Ray Stedman illustrates our interdependence rather than our independence in this way. He said, a doctor told him something that he would never forget. 
The doctor said to him, you may be interested to know that there is a part of your body that is absolutely essential to you as a preacher. You probably don't realize it when you're preaching, but without it, you couldn't do what you do. And so Ray Stidman asked the doctor, what is it? And the doctor replied, it's your big toe. The big toe senses when your body begins to lean or shift or get out of balance. And it immediately strengthens so that you can stand up and speak. Without your big toe, you can never preach. Well, Ray Stedman went on to say that after hearing that, he began to guard his big toes. <laughs> the second truth from Paul's word in 1 Corinthians is that no member of Christ's body should feel more important than the others. In other words, there is no room for arrogance in the body of Christ. Some of the Corinthian believers to whom Paul wrote not only lived independently, they also lived arrogantly. They lived with the attitude, I don't need you because I am superior to you. Paul again uses the illustration of the physical body to show the fallacy of such thinking. He says that there are some parts of our physical bodies which do not seem to be all that important. In fact, there are some parts of our physical bodies which aren't even visible, which can cause one to think that they're not important at all. However, each part of our physical body is important and has a certain function to perform. So it is with the body of Christ. Each person has an important function to fulfill if the body is to function properly. Therefore, never look down on anyone within the body of Christ and don't look down upon yourself either. Your gifts, your talents, your resources are needed in order for the body of Christ to function in a healthy and wholesome way. A number of years ago, I read a story about an event that took place during a week of vacation Bible school. An event that a pastor's wife had, an experience that she had that she would never forget, an experience she had with her primary class. About an hour before dismissal one evening, a new student was brought into her classroom. The little boy had one arm missing. And since the class was almost over, she had no opportunity to learn the details of the situation. Therefore, she was quite nervous that one of the other children would say something insensitive to that little boy. And so she proceeded cautiously with the lesson. As the class was coming to a close, she asked the children to join in the usual closing ceremony. Let's make our churches, she said, putting her hands together to form the church. And then she proceeded. Here's a church. Here's a steeple. Open the, and all of a sudden it dawned on her what she had done. The very thing she feared the children would do, she herself had done. As she stood there speechless, the little girl sitting next to that boy reached over with her left hand and placed it in his right hand and said, Josh, let's make the church together. Regardless of who we are or what our giftedness may be, together we comprise a church. We make the church together. Yes, we parts sometimes wound each other and sometimes we ignore each other and chafe on each other and sometimes we're not that considerate with each other. But let's remember, there's also times that we are warm with each other and we heal each other and we support each other. We truly are better together. The church comprised of one head, Jesus Christ. We are joined to him through faith, 
And we're called to live in submission to his will. He's in charge. He has preeminence. We are simply called to obey and to draw our life from him. But the church, the body of Christ is also comprised of many parts that when functioning properly becomes healthy, strong, and productive. Is, it is this reality that there is one body which knit our hearts together in unity. The fact that we are one body is a basis for the unity that we share in Jesus Christ. And it is for this reason that we are able to walk in unity and we're able to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I want to leave you this quote by Martin DeHaan. He said, God cares nothing about our man-made divisions and groups and is not interested in our self-righteous hair splitting and religious man-made formulas and organizations. He wants you to recognize the unity of the body of Christ. Walk in unity, Paul says, because we are one body. We are the church together. Heavenly Father, we delight in the truth of your word, the practicality of your word. We thank you for this image that Paul has shared with us regarding the head and the body. And it helps us to understand how we need to be connected with you and we need to draw our life from you. We need to be obedient to you. But it also reminds us, Father, that we're connected to each other and, and each part is important. Everyone within a body, within this body, has an important role to play. And so, Father, I pray that we would come to understand what our place is within the body, that we continue to exercise our gifts and our, our, our abilities for your honor and for your glory. And that we together would continue to walk in unity. Together, walking in that manner, which is worthy of our calling in Christ. So that you receive all glory and honor. For it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, visit us at tbcswanriver.com. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, we are also available at anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or on your favorite podcast app.